I love that song, The Old Rugged Cross. Used to sing it uh, when I was younger, when we did go to church. Um, we went to church most consistently as a Methodist, so it was the only song we knew. <laughs> but it's awesome. Mm-hmm. going to start. Luke chapter 2. Title this, The Captivity. Verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. And when they found him, verse 45, they turned back again to Jerusalem. When they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days, that's a long time, three days is a long time, They found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. Imagine the anxiety. Three days. I lost Jackson for five minutes at our old church and was melting down. Three days. Imagine the uncertainty. Where is Jesus? He's nowhere to be found. We thought he was here. We find him nowhere. Imagine the fear. The fear. Where is Jesus? And in verse 48. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Anger. They were angry at him. Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said to them, which should cut straight to our heart, how was it that you sought me? Don't know ye not that I must be about looking at the news. Is that what it said? Know ye not that I have to figure out this election? Doesn't say that, huh? Know ye not I must be about my father's business. Is it safe to assume tonight, as Christians, that God's arm is not short? One translation of this says, shouldn't you have known where I was? I'm right where I was supposed to be. Where were you? Don't don't we believe tonight that perhaps God Almighty has not lost control? Can we all agree that the Lord is still in heaven? Amen. Where's Jesus? The anxiety, the uncertainty. He's where exactly where he's supposed to be. If you've been paying attention, I would say the last three weeks, every sermon, Sunday school lesson, prayer meeting, the Lord has used someone in this church to say the same thing. We are called to be a peculiar people in this hour. Have y'all heard that? I've heard it every time, at least for three weeks, maybe four. But for three weeks, the Lord has said the same thing. 
to this body right here. You're called to be peculiar, right? Strangers and pilgrims. And this, we seek a heavenly home. This isn't our home. Amen? You're going to be strange to the world, but you won't be a stranger to God. Amen? I remember Randy talking to Randy Council years ago, and I said, uh, like, Randy, I just feel like maybe I'm not as close to the Lord as I should be. He said, Buck, he said, Buck, he's right where you left him. Just turn around. And he was. He was right where I left him. He never left me. And he always will be. People ask me all the time, Buck, why do bad things happen? And they hate my answer. I tell them, because God is good. And he loves you. Somehow, for some reason, the bad events that you've seen bad to you are for a greater weight of eternal glory. And we don't understand all that. But why do bad things happen? Because God is good and he loves us. And he will use every person and circumstance in our life to bring us or the people we love to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He's going to do that. He is about his father's business still. If you've been paying attention to, I don't know, the last year of the country, unless you've lived under a rock, you, you would have said, you could say that you have seen some pretty historic things happen in our country, from the election to the president to COVID and everything in between that came from that stuff. We have seen times unprecedented. Right? But the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. I thank God for my country. I love my country. I thank God I was born here. I want to read this. I don't want to rely on my notes, but I don't want to be misunderstood. I thank God I was born here. And I have enjoyed the freedoms and liberties that most places around the world do not enjoy or have ever known. I don't take for granted these rights or privileges like the Declaration of Independence describes as self-evident truths or something endowed by our Creator. You would think something that's self-evident wouldn't need to be explained to you. That is plain and simple, but apparently it does need to be explained to you. There are a lot of smart people out there that would like to explain these things. Obviously, our country is in great peril. Some are seeking to undermine the definitions of self-evident truth, right? Would you agree to that? There are those that work diligently to erase or rewrite history for a more convenient truth, a less abrasive truth, a less offensive truth, one that doesn't offend or shifts blame to fit a present-day narrative with the goal to redefine the concept of freedom for the purposes of power. Ronald Reagan said this, and I'm sure you've all heard it, freedom is always one generation away from extinction. And I believe it was Winston Churchill who said, communism must be stomped down in every generation. Communism is a great evil. Oddly enough, you can't find that quote on the internet now. I love my country. I have served my country. I love the civil liberties that allow for my voice to be heard or not. 
if I don't want to talk. I appreciate the rights outlined in our Constitution, the Articles of Confederation, the Federalist Papers, and all the other founding documents. I respect the brave men and women who have fought and died and studied and preserved these rights in military and government and civil service. Respect those people. I know what it takes to do that. The free, but freedom, listen to me, freedom isn't defined in and of itself by documents written by men. Amen? Freedom is not defined in and of itself by documents written by men. I love these freedoms because it's all I have ever known. I've witnessed firsthand countries in Iraq that have no concept of this freedom because it's all they have ever known. And I've also witnessed firsthand what great lengths those in power will go to to keep that type of freedom from people. Murder, war. I saw the very first Iraqi elections. It changed my life seeing that. These people come out in droves just to be able to make a choice for who they wanted to be their leader. It was amazing. And I had never considered that side of it before. As a young man, I was a stupid, young, foolish man, had no idea what I was witnessing, but now I know. I can look back and say, wow, that was a moment in history that I will never forget. And it changed my life. Some in this church tonight have lived in other countries that have lost these civil liberties and rights and know very well what our country faces now. I thank God for the inspiration and courage of our founding fathers to pursue their God-given right to worship, worship God without restraint, enjoy the fruits of their labor and enterprise. Amen. Amen. It seems, it seems American patriotism is synonymous with fundamental Christianity. It seems that way. To be a Christian is to be a patriot. And the lines are blurred between what is freedom and liberty and the, what is comfort or ease of living. Because there's a difference. What are you more afraid of losing? The easiness or the actual freedom that we have in this country? Can I remind you of this one fact? that the Bible was written before the Constitution. Now listen to me. I don't want to be misunderstood. I love my country. But the Bible was written by God before the Constitution, and he didn't need one person's counsel to write it. When he formed the earth, he didn't ask someone's opinion. When he formed you in your mother's womb, he never asked what the mother thought you, would, she, you should turn out like. He did it. He spoke it. Because he is great, like the song. He is great. He does great miracles and does great things, just like we sang about. And he hasn't stopped being great, despite what it looks like in this country right now. And I will agree, it, it is a very Western Christianity way of thinking that the fall of our American traditions is the same as the fall of Christianity 
That's not so. It's not so. But I will agree that a drastic change to our way of life would lead the way for great evil in the world. I'll agree to that. But in no way, shape, or form does Christianity and your faith hinge on your American traditions. Let me tell you this. The Lord God Almighty has established his throne in heaven, high above principalities and powers and leagues and nations and governments. He needs no one's permission to do his will. He doesn't need a vote. He doesn't need an election. He does his will. And do we agree that his arm is not short tonight? Like we read, is he in his place where he's supposed to be? Has he in any way lost control of what's happened in our country? Or could it be the will of God? As Christians, we may be a bit worried tonight. We have witnessed, we have grown accustomed to living a certain way. And in the last year, we have witnessed our governments and bureaucrats and people in power and smarter people than us close churches, businesses, mandate health choices, censor speech, lie, cheat, and steal outright. And it's worrisome, isn't it? Look, this message is for me. I promise you, I have been the worst one when it comes to this over the last year to the point of anxiety, sleepless nights, heartburn, Rachel will tell you, it doesn't get you anything. But listen to me. This is not the first time the people of God have lived under a form of government that wasn't in line with their beliefs. Jeremiah, Daniel, Habakkuk, Nehemiah, and the Lord Jesus Christ all lived under governments that didn't add up to their what they wanted it to look like in their, in their community and society. We are called to be a peculiar people, separated unto God. We're to shine our lights in the midst of darkness, not just when it's comfortable. It's as if people are surprised today that there's evil in the world, right? Um, how could they legalize abortion? How could they pass a law? Legalizing small amounts of heroin. That's a law. That'll never happen. It's happening. Why are we surprised? Are you surprised the world is acting like the world? Are you surprised that sinners are engaged in sin and enslaved to Satan? Jesus told us that's what it would be. Is it a shock to you? That you would pay a social price for living for God? Are you too worried about being comfortable? Are you shocked that God, that a nation would ignore and disobey God for so long that he would not reprove it? It shouldn't be. I think about Keith Green. He was a singer. Some of y'all know him. He was a teacher and a preacher, I believe. He told this funny story. He said Jesus must have been the most surprised person on the third day when he rose again. Prophecies hundreds of years about his resurrection. He 
He told his disciples, on three days, I'm standing up out the grave. Day one, day two, day three, ta-da, no one was there. We are so slow to understand what God's will is. Even when it's clear and plain, he's given us his word, he's given us his spirit. We should not, we should not be slow to understand, but we are. In Jeremiah chapter 26, verses 1 through 9. This is around 600 B.C. This is the events leading up to the fall of Jerusalem by King Nebuchadnezzar. I want to tell you this. I don't want you to be afraid tonight. I don't want you to live in fear. God will never leave his people without direction. God has never left his people without some sort of warning, instruction, or so forth. He is not a God afar off. He is not a liar. And we are not left to our own devices that are born again. He is the good shepherd, Jehovah Ra, the Lord, our shepherd. That's what that word means. Chapter 26, verse 1. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, came his, this word from the Lord, saying, Thus saith the Lord, not Jeremiah's thoughts on, Thus saith the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak unto all the cities of Judah, which come to worship in the Lord's house. All the words that I command thee to speak unto them diminish not a word. Tell it in my house and don't change a word. That's what he told them. Thus saith the Lord. If so be, they will hearken and turn every man away from his evil way, that I may repent me of the evil which I purpose to do unto them because of the evil of their doings. Now listen, okay, I don't... I'm, we're not Israel. I'm not trying to claim a promise for Israel. I'm just trying to show you that there's an example in the Bible that we're not the only people to live under some sort of government that doesn't agree with us. Okay, so let the Lord speak to you tonight. And don't let this prophecy be limited to this invasion only. Okay? These words are as true today as when Jeremiah spoke them. And they're just as important as a warning today as they were then. And it seems, just like in this day and age... That this way, their way of life was on the brink of collapse, and it seems that so was ours. Okay, so take it as that. Listen to what God had to say to his people then. Verse 4, thou shalt say unto them, thus saith the Lord, if you will not hearken to me to walk in my law, which I have set before you, to hearken to the words of my servant, the prophets, whom I sent unto you, both rising up early and sending them, but you have not hearkened. Then I will make this house like Shiloh, and I will make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth. So the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. Now it came to pass when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak unto all the people, that the priests and the prophets and all the people took him, saying, Thou shalt surely die. They didn't want to hear that, did they? Right? Mighty Jerusalem, mm -mm. the Lord's with us. We ain't fallen. We ain't fallen. Shiloh was the city where the ark was. The ark, obviously, was the symbol of God's presence. The ark and all it represented was lost and carried away out of Shiloh and taken by the Philistines. That's in 1 Samuel chapter 4. It's a wonderful, wonderful uh, group of scriptures. When they take that ark, the Philistines have no idea what to do with it. In fact, it's probably a whole nother sermon. They didn't know what to do with the presence of God in, 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 in their company. 
It was bad for them. And if some of the things God did to them didn't write down in the Bible, I would have never believed it. But he did, but that's another thing. The ark was taken from them because Israel put their faith in the ark. They put it in the ark and God took it and it stayed in the hand of the enemy for 20 years. Psalms plain in plain words says God forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh. Just like that. There ain't no guessing there. You ain't got to know the Greek and the Hebrew for that. It said he forsook it. Earlier in the chapter, verse, chapter 7 of Jeremiah, God reminds Israel to go to look, look at it and see. says, see what I did to that place where I first set my name. The first place God put his name. He said, go look at it. And look at what I did because of the wickedness of my people. Right? Because their confidence wasn't in God. It was in places, in institutions, in traditions, and in trinkets. Amen? Here in this chapter, God threatens to do it again. And here in present day America, I believe that God threatens to do it again. God has the same message. Don't put your faith in the institutions of man or your traditions or your clever devices or your ability to gather information to write your own narrative, right? You can look at all kinds of stuff on the internet. Somebody's going to agree with you. Somebody is going to agree with you. Then you're going to be over here and the people of God and God are over here. Nowhere close. And that's a trap. That's a trap. I think a good many people and policies or organizations start down this road. Starting good. God put the ark there. God established his name first. And they lose their way somehow. Whether it's churches, congregations, pastors, or countries. Right? We're not exempt Starting good and true with good intentions and ended up way off course into something that it never intended to be. God help us. God help us. God help anyone who's done this. God help any country who's gone so far away that they can't even recognize God. That their laws don't represent anything resembling righteousness, abortion, transgender health officials. It's a mockery. It's disgusting to God. It's disgusting. The people didn't want to hear Jeremiah. Here's God's land and God's house saying God's words. And what did they do? They wanted to kill him for it. You know what? He was actually charged for a crime for this. I think he was in prison three times. I believe this is the first imprisonment. His actual charge was he damaged the morale of the people. That was his charge. And he spoke against the city or the government. Right? He didn't say soft things to them. He wasn't politically correct. He said what was true. He said what was plain. He said, this is sin. You disobeyed God. You will not beat the Philistines. The ark's going to be taken. Mm -mm, we don't like that stuff. 
We don't want to hear that. Tell us something good. You're going to die, not us, right? They wrote their own narrative. They wanted to hear what they wanted to hear. They had itching ears, didn't they? God's man, God's house, God's words. And Jeremiah, thank God, like Paul, chose to obey God than his own people and his own city. Some would say that's treason. And you'll find out why later. They threw him in prison. Some would say that's cowardice now. If you're not, if you're not all for America, even when it stands against God, Right? But Paul was not confused when he said, I have great heaviness and sorrow in my heart, and I would be accursed for my kinsmen that they would be saved. Right? But Paul wasn't confused, was he? He obeyed God. He obeyed God, and so should we. And it was interesting about this. It wasn't Nebuchadnezzar that threw Jeremiah in the pit, was it? It was his own people that God sent him to save. Don't be surprised if the very people God sends you to are the ones calling for your head, but don't be afraid either. Don't be afraid. If God's with you, don't be afraid. If he's not, be afraid. If you're running off at the mouth, be afraid because he's not with you. But if he's with you, don't be afraid. Jeremiah chapter 27 Verse 1, um, God tells Jeremiah to put these yokes, symbolic. He says, put these yokes, make them, put it around your head, and bring it to these kings. Right? So he does. Verse 3, he says, um, 2, he says, Thus saith the Lord to me, make thee bonds and yokes, and put them upon thy neck, and send them to the king of Edom and Moab, and the king of the Ammonites. This was the surrounding area of uh, Jerusalem and the king of Tyrus to the king of Zidon by the hand of the messengers which came to Jerusalem under Zedekiah king of Judah listen and command them to say unto their masters thus saith the Lord of hosts the God of Israel thus shall you say unto your masters I have made the earth the man and the beast that are upon the ground by my great power and by my outstretched arm have given it unto whom it seemed meet unto me for his purposes, for his will. And now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. Oh, that's weird, huh? That's odd, isn't it? Huh? It don't matter. Devils, God is in charge of all of that too. He is in charge of every bit of it. They bow to him. They bow to him. Nebuchadnezzar bows to God. He will serve God in one, one way or another. I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and the beasts of the field. Have I given him also to serve him? All the nations shall serve him and his son and his son's sons until the very time of his land come. And then many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of him. So he was connected. And it shall come to pass that the nation and the kingdom, which will not serve the same Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and that will not put their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that the nation, that nation, will I punish, saith the Lord, with the sword and with the famine and with the pestilence, until I have consumed them by, my, by his hand. 
Therefore, hearken not ye to your prophets, nor to your diviners, nor your, your dreamers, nor to your enchanters, nor to your sorcerers, which speak unto you, saying, You shall not serve the king of Babylon. All the Facebook pages you follow, or all the news articles you read, or anybody else might be leading you astray, right? I tell people I get all my current news from the Old Testament. That's the best place to get your stuff from. That's going to be more accurate than what's going on today. These yokes, Jeremiah was to distribute them to these neighboring countries directed by the Lord. These countries had gotten together and formed a confederacy to shake off the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. And they were very confident in themselves. Again, not God. Their faith wasn't in God. It was in a league. Amen. And these yokes would have been a great insult to them. The result was, we read, false prophets persuading people to go against God's word. That's in chapter 28. They had itching ears. They wanted to hear something soft and nice and reassuring from a worldly perspective because they wanted comfort. They didn't want to lose their comfort. It wasn't their freedom. It was their comfort. Don't worry. This certain group won't get in power. Or don't worry. This law won't pass. But I would rather hear bad news from God than false news from a liar. Amen? I would rather hear the truth of God than a lie. Because God's truth always comes with hope. If you die in your sins, you will surely perish. But if you put your faith in Jesus, you won't. Right? God's word always comes with hope behind it. Amen? So, every Christian knows Jeremiah 29, 11. But now we have the context it's framed in. Right? We want to take Jeremiah 29, 11 and say, God has good thoughts for me. Amen. It'll all be okay. Right? But now, this is Jeremiah's message to the captivity. After everything they had went through, verse 17 of chapter Jeremiah 27 says, Hearken not unto them, serve the king of Babylon, and live. Wherefore should this city be laid waste? Chapter 29, this is Jeremiah's message to the captivity. During what seems to be a very dark time for Israel, here God is with a message of hope. Jeremiah is full of hopeful messages. But he was hated, and he loved his country. In fact, the whole book of Lamentations is him sorrowing for his country and his countrymen, how they disobeyed God. And he was sad, but Jeremiah was a hopeful prophet. He always was trying to give Israel hope, show them the right way, but they would not. They would not. When all seems lost, God goes to work like he always does, right? You've got to get it out of your hands and any possibility of you that you're going to get it yourself so he can have the glory. Now listen, this is God's message to the captivity through Jeremiah. Verse 5. No, let's go to verse 4. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have carried to be, who I have caused to be carried away from the Jerusalem unto Babylon, Listen, build houses, dwell in them, plant gardens, eat the fruit of them, 
Take wives, have sons, have daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city, whether I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof shall you have peace. For thus saith the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you. Neither hearken to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. Verse 10. <laughs> Don't diminish, he said. Huh? Live your life. Don't diminish there. Verse 10. And this is the framework of that verse everyone knows. In captivity. For thus saith the Lord that after 70 years be accomplished. Right? There's an end. In Babylon, I will visit you. And perform my good work, my good word toward you, and causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then you shall call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord. And I will turn away your captivity. Wow. That's hopeful, huh? In verse 10, that word perform, it means I will abide with, my, abide with you. It's to establish you and strengthen you. The word return in the same verse says to turn back. But not with the idea of starting at the original starting point. It means to convert. I will convert you to the original starting point had gotten to where they were, right? But he needed to turn them back to God, not the things that had gotten them off course. Not a confidence in the world or the system of the world, but God Almighty. My confidence is not in socioeconomic platforms and policies or politicians or legislation. Or the news. Right? Confidence is in God. We're set apart in times like this. For the glory of God. No one in captivity could have said, I'm doing so good because of me. Right? It was all because of God. And they prospered and were blessed in that state they were in. And they were captive, but they were free. In the midst of chaos and derision, just like Daniel. Daniel lived. In captivity his whole life, and he faithfully served God. Never compromised. I'm not a big painter-like guy. I don't like paintings that much as Rachel does. She loves, she's got a good eye. There's a painting, I don't, the guy's name is Brenton Riviere or something like that. It's called Daniel's Answer to the King. And he's sitting here like this. And there's like 20 lines. And he, he's just, you know, and I think it's the perfect picture He's completely unmoved by what's going on around him. He's looking to God. Right? I probably said that guy's name wrong, so don't go looking that up. <laughs> no matter your circumstances, put your faith in God. Amen? Romans 8, verse 18. 
It says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Amen. And it goes on to talk about how sin desires to, uh, how, how creation desires to be delivered from sin. And how the context of this suffering is that sin has marred creation up to including man. And that there's a, um, and it won't be delivered. And all things will be continued as they are until what verse 21 calls the glorious liberty of the children of God. So all things will continue as they are. So this suffering that we are experiencing will continue until that happens. That hasn't happened. Why? Because there's sin. And until these corrupt bodies put on incorruptible bodies, God is about his business right where he's supposed to be, despite what America is doing. That's the point. It's simple. I'm not trying to be mysterious. God is about his business right now. Could it be the will of God? The events that are going on? Sure. Absolutely. Right? So why am I saying this? Because we shouldn't be surprised when God says evil men will go from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. And again, when he says people will be lovers of themselves and not of God. That's now. Don't be surprised when society doesn't resemble what we consider to be normal through our American Christian perspective. Remember, faith doesn't hinge on documents written by men, but written by God, signed in the blood of Jesus. Don't despair if it's not comfortable for you to live as a child of God. Don't confuse comfort and liberty. There's a stark difference. If you look up liberty in a worldly dictionary, this is the definition. The state of being free within society from oppressive restrictions imposed by authority on one's life, behavior, or political views, or the state of not being in prison. Also, the power to act as one pleases. Well, that's sin. That is the very base definition of sin. Do what you want to do. That's how the world defines liberty. That's what you will find if you look in Webster's. Verse 18. I'm sorry, verse 21. When he says the glory is liberty. You know how that's defined? Moral liberty. Freedom from sin, period. Unrestrained to worship and exempt from the responsibility of your sin. That's liberty. And that is the double-edged sword of America. Two different meanings of liberty. The same liberty and freedom that allows for me to sit here tonight and preach in Jesus' name and worship with you amazing people and love God with all my heart unashamed in this world is the same freedom that allows for some person to identify as a non-binary tree squirrel that wants to marry a rock and make YouTube videos all day. Same freedom, double-edged sword, but that ain't how the Bible says freedom is, right? 
There may be a YouTube creator that wants to be it. I don't know now. Nothing surprises me anymore. Paul wasn't confused when he said what he said about his countrymen. And thank God, thank God he stood with God. You can come, brother. As Christians, we don't need the government's permission to be free. Amen? We don't need an election. You don't need it. If you're born again, you are free under any circumstances. In captivity, under a communist. What do you think the Christians in China are doing? Do you think they're not Christians? Do you think that they're not born again and that they don't worship God in their heart? Sure they do. They probably long, would long to be in a place like this tonight with an entire Bible, right? Or, or a Christian in Pakistan and Iraq. They don't have a chance. They don't have a chance. But for so long, America has disobeyed God. And it breaks my heart because I love this country. I love it. With all of my heart, I love it. But I would choose to serve God before I would choose to serve this country. And I have served my country. Under any circumstances, you are free if you're born again. Because you can't legislate faith in Jesus or hope in the kingdom of God. Policymakers can't make policy concerning your salvation. And I would tell prisoners this all the time. You're locked in this cage tonight when I'm telling you you can be free. There's nothing that can hold you if you're in Christ. You can't do something. You can't do anything with a man like that. As the soul of hold and full of this Holy Spirit and so got the soul of hold of God, you can't even kill him because he's happy about it. What do you do with somebody like, God, let that be me. I can't say it is. Let that be me. Let me be so a hold of Christ and let that be more real to me than this today. Let it start right here in this church that God would use us in this captivity that this country seems to be going to. Pray to God it doesn't. Like I said before, let's read verse 28 of Romans chapter 8 in this context. And we know that all things work together for good to them that, are, that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And verse 31 says, what shall we say then to these things? If God's for us, who can be against us? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come, height, depth, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like I said, there's some who want to twist and change the meaning of words today to fit their narrative. And they speak with such definitive assurance. This is definite. This. I'm not saying lay down and let communism roll over you. 
That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying hold the line, but hold this line. This is the measuring stick. This is what God has given us. Hold this line. If you're going to lose your life, lose it for this. Lose it preaching the gospel. Lose it bringing a, a lost family member to Christ. Lay your life down for that. That's more important. This is the blood of Jesus. Amen. Let them come that would make a law against living for God. They'll answer to him for it. Let them knock on your door and say it's against the law to preach about abortion. And you tell them it's against my God not to. Give us boldness in this hour. Not fearing the captivity. Amen. If God's for us, who is against us? Right? Hold the line of God. Matthew Poole said this, and I'm done. He's a commentator. An old one. On liberty. This is what he said on liberty. He said, to the heathen, the gospel of grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the heathen be rescued from the courses of sin and corruption to which they have been enslaved. Rescued into that glorious condition, not just as free men redeemed by Christ from bondage of sin and Satan, but also a child of God favored with a never-ending inheritance. Praise God. Praise God. What have you to fear of government? Bring it on. If God's for us, it's better. It's better. Come on. Come on, y'all. Stand up and worship this God tonight. Amen? Put your hands together for God. Amen? Worship God. Lift your voice to God. Don't sit there mute tonight. And don't leave unchanged. If you're not born again, don't leave. If you have family members that are lost in sin, don't leave. Pray for them. Tonight, y'all, our pastor stood up here Sunday and he charged you. Go out and live for God. Are you going to do it? Or are you going to let it roll over you? Personally, I want to do it. Last year, we went through the, some of the toughest things I've ever been through in my life. And I've had a rough life. And I, and I was talking to the pastor. What's important to you now? What's important to you tonight? Do you care about your family and your co-workers? Are you a Christian? Or are you too worried about comfort? You would die for this country, but not for Christ. Don't leave without getting it right. Amen. Father, we love you and thank you, God. We're not ashamed, God. Give us boldness, Father. Give us courage, God. Give us your spirit, God. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your blood. Lord, you turn away the captivity. And even in the midst of captivity, we are free. We don't need the government's permission. You have set us free tonight. Free from sin. You did that, God, by your own hand. And you have not lost control. Let your will be done, whatever it is, God, in my life, in this church, and in this country. In Jesus' name.